Hello and welcome to Converge Coffee. I'm Eric Deckers and I'm joined by one of my good friends and co-author Jason Falls. Jason is one of the early and leading thinkers in the digital marketing space with a focus on influence and community commerce marketing. He's the EVP of marketing for Scipio.ai, which helps brands scale content acquisition through user-generated content and influencers. Jason also hosts the popular Winfluence podcast, is the author of three books, including our own No Bullshit Social Media, <laughs> is the executive producer of the Marketing Podcast Network, and he loves sports, bourbon, and his family. Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> so, Jason, uh, let's start things off. You were a big shot in social media marketing early on. I was just talking to my wife about this. You, you, know, you were one of the first big voices in social media marketing. What made you switch to influencer marketing? Well, it wasn't. I mean, I don't think it. I don't consider it really a switch. Um, you know, social media in the mid two thousands was something that brands were just starting to get their heads wrapped around. I happened to be at an ad agency, and our clients were asking questions about you know Facebook and Twitter and um, you know blogs and things like that. And so, because I had been you know a participant in that world and kind of understood it a little bit, I was in the right place at the right time. But one of the main things that I did in my primary role at the agency where I was when that all happened was public relations, media relations. And so I was reaching out to, you know, third parties that had audiences trying to communicate with them on behalf of our clients and brands to pass that message on to their audiences, which is kind of by definition what influencer marketing really is. It's that finding that third party with an audience and, and having, you know, collaborating with them to amplify whatever message it is you're trying to get out there. So Back in the mid-2000s, going into the late 2000s, into the 20-teens, we called it blogger relations um, because the term influencer wasn't really used then. And then it kind of migrated into influencers in the teens, I guess, as it were. But I was doing the same stuff. I was you know, trying to connect with online voices that had some perspective, some audience, uh, and connecting our clients and brands with them. In fact, the very first initiative, the march, marching orders that I was given when I was working with Beam Global Spirits and Wine, um, in which was, was the first kind of real social media focused uh, client initiative that I was working on. The U.S. Director of Whiskies at the time said, I want you to go to all these internet conferences and make friends with all of the people that are talking about companies doing cool things on the internet so that when we start doing cool things on the internet, they'll talk about us. That's influencer marketing. So I've been doing the same thing ever since. I just used social media as the broad topic to kind of, you know, sort of provide value to the marketplace while I was doing it. Okay. So what what is so special about influencers? Why are we listening to them and not celebrities or not the brands themselves? Well, I, I almost hesitate to use this word because it's starting to become one of those words that people roll their eyes at, but it, it really has everything to do with authenticity. Um, it's, you know, people who social media created a universe where the average ordinary everyday person who didn't have a degree in journalism, who didn't have an FCC communications license, who didn't work at a television station, magazine, radio or station or newspaper could publish and could and could publish in an in an environment where people they could collect an audience people would watch and see what they were doing it democratized publishing and that's good in that everyone can now publish it's also bad in that everyone can now publish uh, because it creates a lot of noise 
but but it also creates signal. There are people who are average, average, ordinary, everyday Joes and, and, and Janes creating content on the Internet that resonates with a group of people. And it might be a couple of hundred, you know, basket weavers in Minnesota, but it might also be a couple hundred thousand fashionistas in Miami. And so those signals among the noise of all of the self-publishers out there, uh, they gather an audience and they've started to look at their their audience and say, hey, if brands want to reach those people, uh, at least the people in my audience, then I'm a conduit for that. Or brands will designate those people and say, hey, we know you talk to uh, the basket weavers in Minnesota and we have a product that we would like to get in front of them. So let's collaborate and let's partner. And that's evolved over the years to, you know, hundreds upon thousands, uh, even hundreds of thousands of creators out there who call themselves influencers, who monetize their audiences by presenting brand information to them through collaborations and partnerships. Um, and because those people started out as regular, ordinary folks creating content on the internet that was entertaining to people, they have, they don't have a big corporation behind them. They don't have the motivations that people suspect big corporations have. And so that sort of authentic voice comes out and most influencers or content creators on the internet today understand that if they aren't authentic with what they say, then they're going to lose their audience. So that authenticity has a big role to play, even though it might be an overused word these days. Okay. So <clears throat> I was talking to somebody uh, else today. Marketing has become sort of a, a hotbed of analytics and metrics, and everybody pays attention to the numbers in a way that we could not 30 years ago. We couldn't measure billboard reads or TV commercial viewing or radio. We, we sort of agreed that, that we would estimate, and we wouldn't tell people we were estimating, but that's what we did. So now we can analyze and and measure everything. How has that that attitude transformed influencer marketing? Well, it's it, it actually um, is. I think it's 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 added a layer of honesty and truthfulness to uh, what's happening out there because you're right. In the digital world, you can put a lot more specific measurements and parameters are around people. And that's both good and bad because there's a lot of influencers out there that may have a ton of followers, um, and they may you know attract an audience and people may consume their content but they don't necessarily react to their content. And so that is someone who is great at, you know, creating entertaining content, but they're not great at creating influence, which is motivating that audience to then take an action. Um, and actually in my book, Influence, I talk about a uh, kind of lifestyle fashion influencer um, and named Ari. Uh, and she had, I think, 200,000 followers or such, uh, such, such number um, when I wrote the book a couple of years ago, um, and she had uh, tried to launch her own line of clothing and, and, and apparel products. And then shortly after she launched it, she complained openly to her audience that, well, nobody bought any of my stuff. So that was a big bust. And I used her as an example in the book to say, well, okay, why, why did she have an audience but not influence? Um, and it was, I went through basically Robert Cialdini's, you know, um, uh, you know, elements of persuasion. There's, there's six or seven elements of persuasion. And I looked at her content and did an analysis of, okay, did she practice reciprocity? Did she practice, you know, all of the things that, that Robert Cialdini and his, you know, seminal kind of 1984 book called influence, which has, I think 12 editions since then. 
um, you know, does she have the elements that make you actually influential? And she didn't have very many of them at all. Um, and so I use that as a guide, not to criticize her necessarily, because I think she was 17 at the time. So, I mean, good for her for trying right at that age. Um, but I wasn't trying to criticize her. I was just trying to say, here's the things that she could have done leading up to that launch to make it more successful using these elements of persuasion to not just be an influencer, but be influential. Um, and so what we use with analytics and metrics now to kind of circle back to your question is we have to find ways to know, okay, follower count doesn't really matter. Engagement rate gets us a little bit closer because it at least shows us how many people no, don't just see the content, but interact with it. But now we're adding brands are starting to get smart and adding a layer of kind of performance metrics on top of creators and saying, hey, we don't just want you to post about us. We don't just want you to engage your audience about us. We want you to persuade your audience to go buy the thing. And so we need to put some parameters around that so that we can measure success. The creators who know how to follow the, the customer journey through the funnel and get their audience to take that action are going to be more, much more successful long term um, and have recurring revenue coming from the brands they work with versus the people who are just, hey, look at me, here's my great content and good luck if you want this product, right? Or, or they don't actually motivate their audience to take that next action. So analytics are changing the game and they're surfacing the cream of the crop to the top of who can actually perform. Yeah, I, I'm reminded uh, when you and I were working on No Bullshit Social Media, uh, I think a couple years before that, uh, my wife had bought a car. Yep. Uh, and, you know, she bought a Scion XB, you know, one of the little toasters, and that got her dad to buy one. Yep. Her mom bought an XA, and then her sister and her husband bought a car. Yep. And so, and and my wife was not very big on social media, and if she had approached Scion and Toyota and said, "Hey," You know, would you support me and sponsor me? They would have said no because you don't have the numbers. Right. But here is somebody who, because of her own personal non-social influence, got four people to buy a car yeah. that even you and I with big social numbers could not have done that. So so I think, you know, like you said, reciprocity and, and relationships. And I, mm -hmm. I preach to people all the time, uh, when you're on social media, you have relationships with your followers and your mm -hmm. fans. Uh, engage with them in conversation. You're just a person; they are just people. So treat them like that, and they will, you know, they will engage with you and then support you when it comes time to buy your book, buy your product, subscribe to your offering, whatever that is. You're you're absolutely right, and and you know that case study with Tony, your wife was. I'm glad that we put that in the book when we did because it was really kind of a preview of things to come because this is this is the wave of the future, finding those social media users who aren't necessarily influencers but have influence. And that's really what you know I do at Scipio. It's less about finding social media creators with a lot of followers that will talk about your brand and more about plugging into the community of people you already know, uh, people like Tony who would have been in – uh, you know, Scion's database as a customer or would have been in their database as someone who came into the, you know, the, the store look, shopping for a car uh, or come to her, their website looking around, they would have known she was a member of their brand community. And if they plug into that brand community and see, hey, here are the people who are buying, who are passionate, um, regardless of how many followers they have, those are the people that are going to pass on that word of mouth, which are going to lead to more sales. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um 
So how can companies best use influencers? And I'm, I'm especially thinking of smaller companies that, you know, that, that startup distillery or that startup, uh, <laughs> you know, fin uh, fintech company or, you know, somebody, they want to get into influencer marketing. So how could they best use influencers? So for smaller companies, I'll recommend a couple of things. Number one, again, let's go back right back where we were. Don't get so caught up and fascinated with how many followers someone has on social media. It's less about um, how, what kind of an audience they have and more about what kind of passion they have for your brand. And so if you're connecting with um, you know, people who you already know, maybe it's your customers, maybe it's people who are already following you on social media, Try to kind of map your community and find out, well, who do I already know that has some degree of impact or has passion about my brand, my store, my product, my service, uh, because those are the people who are going to pass on a recommendation that's very authentic, that's very genuine, and that's very persuasive. And so if you start with that group of people and tap into or provide them with content that taps into their passion for you or their enthusiasm for your brand, now they're going to pass that on much more genuinely to other people who are going to come to your brand, and then the cycle starts over again. You you know, make those people passionate about what you're mm -hmm. doing. So keep in mind that start with the people you know, even if it's your, just your own employees to begin with, and work your way out into those concentric circles out of people who know you and you know already, because those are the people who are going to recommend you the best to their family, friends, and followers. The other thing I would say is you've got to remember that, and I use this example a lot, there is a, a, a local franchise uh, about two miles from my house of the parent-teacher store, right? So it's a really good resource if you are a homeschool parent or if you're a teacher or an administrator and you're looking for school supplies and things like that. They have all sorts of you know, educational things. Parents go there too as well, of course, um, that have you know, public or private school kids, not just homeschools. But it's a great resource for education educational content and tools um and it's a it's a franchise location so if the parent teacher store owner in louisville kentucky if they see a um let's say they see um, an education creator influencer on youtube and they're like oh i love this person's content i would love to have them recommend uh people come to my store my lo local franchise and buy things if you look into that creator that youtuber's audience you might find that less than one tenth of one percent of their four hundred thousand followers are actually even in louisville kentucky so that creator doesn't matter to you at all they're not going to influence people to come to your store mm -hmm. what you need to do is look about okay who has real influence amongst my audience my footprint and now you're looking at okay are there local education bloggers are there local education podcasters are there local parents um, who are creating content online but then go a step further take it offline who are the presidents of the local PTAs? Who are the youth sports coaches? Who are the, the people who are involved in local homeschool parenting groups and associations? Those are the people who are influential that can have an impact on your business. doesn't matter how many Instagram followers those people have. If they're turning at a PTA meeting and saying, hey, the, the local uh, you know, parent-teacher store has this product in mass supply. You should all go there to get it. It's a, an easy resource. Now, all of a sudden, you're selling 10 times more of that product than you were before, which is going to make you really, really happy. Okay. Now, is this something that Scipio can do then? Is, is like I want to look at all my Instagram followers, and I want to see who are they all following? What, what people do they have in common that they're all paying attention to? 
Absolutely. The first thing you do with Scipio, um, when we have a new client who signs up for our software or we have a managed services program as well, um, the first thing we do is we map your communi community. We plug you into our platform so you authenticate your social media accounts. Um, you can uh, hook, if you have e-commerce, you can hook us into your Shopify account or you can download a customer file, CSV file of customer uh, emails and, and hopefully Instagram accounts or something like that. And we actually map your community so that you can see, here's a cluster of my customers. Here's the people who follow me on social media. Here's the people who talk about me on social media, but aren't necessarily in the other two groups. Um, here are people who are followers of affinity brands. So no, people I don't compete against, but have the same audience. Um, so I like to use the example, if you're Ford Motor Company, you probably want to talk to the people who follow Firestone tires. Um, they're not competitors, but they're you know the, a similar audience, so an affinity brand. And then you can also map your competitor followers as well, because those people are at least predisposed to buy products in your category. So we look at your community, map it out, and say, hey, here are the people within your brand community that have a lot of followers, that have influence, that have high engagement rates, and here's how... Uh, you can then map a path to them and you know, maybe supply them with some sort of content or motivation or whatnot to be able to post about you online or connect with their audiences about your product or service. So we have an end-to-end -end platform that makes all that happen. Okay, cool. That was kind of a freebie question. <laughs> um, so the final question is, is, and this is about you and, and what do you do? How, what do you do for fun and what is your hobby? What do you, <laughs> how do you relax? How do I relax? Well, um, I have uh, two teenagers, and then my girlfriend has a preteen and a teenager. Uh, so a lot of times I'm uh, driving the taxi from uh, rehearsal to ball game to one thing or another. Um, but I, I really enjoy sports. Uh, my kids and I are, are uh, season ticket holders to Lou City FC, which is the uh, USL uh, you know, franchise here in Louisville. We also have season tickets to uh, Racing Louisville FC, which is the – uh, National Women's Soccer League uh, franchise oh, really? in Louisville as well, so kind of Major League Women's Soccer. So we love soccer. We love watching sports. Um, I'm a bourbon aficionado. I don't uh, drink very often anymore. I've gotten a little too old to drink too often, but I, I enjoy <laughs> tasting a good bourbon from time to time. I have a small collection here that I like to uh, to do. And just, you know, hanging out with family and friends, that's, that's about it for me. Excellent. All right. Well, Jason Falls, thank you very much. It was great to catch up with you and uh, – Look forward to hearing more about what you're doing. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Thanks for having me.